thanks, Mike. Thanks for Mike and Camp. And yeah, it's good to see everyone, although not in person. Um, so as you all know, we're going through the, the life of Joseph and um, we're going to obviously just quick introduction. We're going to um, break it up into the four houses that he was in. Um, first one being his father's house, Potiphar's house, next one prison house, and then the palace for the last one. Um, yeah, in terms of introductions, I think Joseph's not one that needs introduction. I think we all know who he is and um, basically know the story of Joseph. Um, speaking of which, um, Joseph's story um, starts back in Genesis chapter 30. So that's the, that's the first mention we have of Joseph um, in verse 22 to 24. Um, it says, God remembered Rachel and God hearkened un unto her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And Joseph's name is, means adding. Um, so this, this happened um, during the time where Jacob and his family were still in the land of Haran. So that's, that's the land where uh, Jacob fled to after his falling out with his brother Esau. And that's where he met and married uh, Leah and Rachel, and um, so the birth of of Joseph happens in this land, and it's before the whole man, the whole family moved back to Canaan. Um, and there's a few other events that happen between now and the, the 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 next mentioning of Joseph in the Bible, you know, such as like we said, Jacob and his family moving back to the land of Canaan. You get the reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. Events like um, the death of Rachel, the death of Isaac, and there's a few other things, um, which you can read in your own time in, I guess, the following chapters after chapter 30. Um, like I said, as for Joseph himself, we don't actually hear anything about him uh, until chapter 37. And as far as I can tell, this is pretty much one of the only chapters that speaks about Joseph in his father's house. Um, and so I guess between Genesis 30 and Genesis 37 is about 17 years. Um, um, and that's 17 years where we don't hear anything about Joseph. And um, then all of a sudden he appears on the scene and we, we, click, we quickly get to learn a little bit about him, about his character, um, the fact that, you know, he was an upright and honest and, hardworking person and so on and so forth. And, you know, all these character traits in Joseph, you know, they'll become even more evident in the following houses, which we'll study over the next you know, couple of sessions. Um, now, obviously, with, with, um, with the study of the life of Joseph, um, the purpose of it, I guess, one of the purposes is um, for the practical reasons um, for our own lives. Um, and because, you know, Joseph is one of the types in the Bible of the Lord Jesus. Um, so there's, there's a lot we can learn um, from his life. And um, looking at his life, we can 
also get a, a different perspective of the life of Jesus, um, you know, especially in contrast to that of what we get in the New Testament scripture. And there's an expression um, that some of us might have heard before. I heard it from Brother Donald Hanna in New Zealand one time. And if you haven't heard it, it goes something like this. Um, he said, you can find Christ in all scripture, um, even the Old Testament. And that's why it's, it's, it's very worthwhile to, to study all scripture because ultimately we get a better understanding of, um, of God and his character. We get, um, even if it's small glimpses of the life of the Lord Jesus, it's, it's definitely well worth it. Um, so I just want to go through, I guess, chapter 37 of Genesis. Um, we're not going to read it all. It is, it is only just a short chapter. So I would encourage everyone just to, if you haven't already read it, to, to have a read through it in, in your own time. Um, and um, like I said, we're not going to read it all, but I've broken it up into kind of nine points, which I want to speak about um, with regards to the life of Joseph. Um, and I'll try to also make a comparison or a contrast um, to the life of Jesus in, in those points. Um, so I might just list the points and then we'll come back and maybe um, discuss them a little bit more. So first point, um, which is verse 2. So we read about, um, you know, you get the introduction of Joseph. We read that he works with his brothers and he brings back an evil report of their doings. Um, next point. Verse 3, you read of the love of Jacob to, towards Joseph and the gift of the coat of many colours. Um, the next point, verse 4, you get the hatred of his brothers towards him. Um, next point, verse uh, 5 to 11, we read of um, Joseph's dreams. Um, and then after that, verse 13 to 14, you read of Joseph's subjection to his father. Um, verse 17, you get the, the diligence that he has um, in doing his work. Verse 18 to 27, you get the, the manifestation of his brother's hatred towards him um, and his rejection of, um, by them. Um, verse 28, you have um, 20 pieces of silver. And then verses 29 to 36, we have um, the mourning of Joseph's father and the transition from his father's house into Potiphar's house. Um, so that's kind of the nine points that I've broken up the chapter into, and um, we'll just go through them one by one and just say a little bit more about them. <clears throat> so verse 2, um, we read about Joseph. Um, we learn that he's, he's 17 years old um, and we read of um, his his character and his strength of character even at that age. You know, 17 is quite the impressionable age. You know, if you think for those of us, of us who are older, um, if you think back to being 17 or those who are around that age, you think of kind of maybe your um, high school days and, you know, the peer pressure you would face um, during those days, um, particularly at school. You know, there were many different groups and 
um, no matter what group you were kind of trying to fit into, um, to fit into that group, you would have to talk the way the people in that group talk, you know, do the same things that the people in that group do. Um, which you know, I know in, in my school, there was a group of people who would kind of um, encourage each other to study. So that was maybe a good thing. But in general, um, the groups that we that you see, and particularly at high school, they're, they're not kind of the best groups around. I remember seeing um, where there was some guys fighting, um, sometimes with the girls would be you know, gossiping about one another. So um, there's this, there's different kind of groups and there's this peer pressure to, to fit in. And, you know, usually at that age, it's, it's just really easy to just kind of go with the flow. Um, you know, there's this whole mentality of, you know, everyone else is doing, doing this and that. Um, and even if it's a little bit wrong, you know, everyone else is doing it. You know, this, this whole kind of pack mentality where people feel justified in their wrongdoings because everyone else is in that in the same boat. And, you know, it makes them feel a little bit better. You know, even if you get in trouble, I'm not the only one getting in trouble. Everyone else around me is getting in trouble with me. Um, but what you tend to forget is that the boat that everyone's in, that boat is, you know, heading towards you know, destruction. And um, you'll remember back to when we were studying Proverbs, um, we spoke of the dangers of um, being in a pack, being in that mentality. And I remember one of the key points that were pointed out um, when going through Proverbs, uh, you know, when you're in a big group or a gang and things like that, you know, there's the dangers of things escalating and um, particularly in terms of violence. Um, escalating quite quickly. Um, but, and also there's this whole idea of, you know, um, being in, in a group like that, you know, I might be doing the wrong thing, I might be bad, but I'm not terrible. That kind of thinking, that kind of mentality, we say, oh, I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as this person next to me. Um, and it just goes to show kind of the, the environment that Joseph might have been in at that time where, you know, he's out there working with his brothers and he would have felt the pressure to, to especially being the youngest of his brothers or, you know, next to Benjamin, he would have felt that pressure in, in terms of, you know, fitting in with them. Or, you know, they would have told him, look, this is the way we work. We've always worked like this. And, you know, this is the way it should be done. Um, but, you know, and it's... The Bible doesn't really say much about what they do. It just says that um, Joseph gives an evil report to his father. Um, so there's not actually anything specific that the Bible says that his brothers were doing that were evil. Um, but, right, but we know that Joseph um, was against and he stood up for it. And I think it's fantastic that the Bible leaves that, um, that, leaves that kind of open for us, for us to be able to apply that to any situation. We can't pinpoint particular wrong that his brothers were doing we just know that they were doing the wrong thing and for us we can we can learn that um you know just because everyone else is doing something or you know if we feel pressured to to do the same thing as everyone else um which most cases you know with the world around us it's not always the right thing um it's great to see the the character of joseph in that he was able to um not give in to that pressure and um, 
to, to do the, the, the right thing and to um, give the, the correct report to his father as well. Because um, you could imagine as well that he might have been even under the pressure to, um, to, to tell his dad that everything's okay when it wasn't. Um, simply just being pressured by his brothers. Even though it's not specifically mentioned here, that could have been the case. And I want to, you know, highlight the fact that, the, that Joseph was 17. Um, and being 17, like I said, you know, it's such a time where it's so easy to go with the flow and yet he had such strength of character and to stand up to his brothers, to, to, to tell them what, you know, this is wrong. And um, I think this is quite important for us to realise that taking the right path, um, you know, it needs to be done from an early age. And again, I refer back to Proverbs when, you know, we were studying it, you know, whether it was you know, Solomon speaking to his son saying, you know, take heed to your youth and study the scriptures and like all these things needed to be done at an early age. So it's if it, sort of, great importance to, to be set on the right path um, from an early age, whether it's, you know, um, you know, people who are like in the, in the group of parents setting their children up on the right path from an early age, or we just as young people, um, you know, purposing in our hearts to, to go down the correct path from the, from, from an early age. And um, you can even think of someone like, um, David, I'm sorry, Daniel and his friends when they were taken to Babylon. You know, they purposed in their hearts to do the right thing and God blessed them for it. Um, and again, they were quite young. Um, they would have probably been around the same age as Joseph. Um, so from an early age, you know, he was he was on the right path before, you know, before his father and before God. Now, if we, if we look at this compared to the, the life of Jesus um, and just wanted to quickly mention that um, it's, it's really cool to see as well that in the life of Jesus and some of the Gospels, you know, you get the birth of Christ and then all of a sudden he's 30 years old and he begins his public service. You know? So kind of similar to Joseph in that sense, you know, don't hear much about his early life and then all of a sudden he's on the scene. Although we do in fact know a little bit about the early life of the Lord Jesus and we know that he too, from an early age, was set on the correct path. You know, we read of him, uh, I think it was, you know, 11 or 12 years old, being in the temple. And when his parents rebuke him for it, he says, you know, don't you know that I should be about my father's business? And, you know, he was, from an early age, you know, he was looking towards uh, the things of his father, the, the things of God. And, you know, again, you compare that with Joseph, you know, from an early age, you know, he was, he was looking at the things of his father, you know. This was his father's business that his brothers were taking care of. There were shepherds that were taking care of his father's flocks and, you know, he was interested in the things of his father. Um, now, this, this whole matter of giving an honest report, and we can probably assume that this is one of the sticking points as to why Joseph's brothers hated him. Um, but if you look at it, you know, there's no blame in Joseph in Joseph for doing this. Um, you know, if his brothers were unhappy with the report that he was giving, it was in their own hands to change that. You know, whatever evil that they were doing, that's mentioned here in, in the Bible, you know, they had the ability to stop. They had the ability to turn things around and do the right thing. 
Um, but, you know, they weren't really interested in that. Um, rather, they were more interested in removing Joseph from their presence so that they could carry on with what they were doing. Now, I could probably read that, you know, you know reread that same sentence again and replace the, the name Joseph and, and put Jesus in, in his stead, and it would still make sense. Um, you know, Jesus, again, was in, in the midst of his own, his own brethren, his own um, uh, nation, and yet he was rejected. And why was he rejected? Because um, he was the light. And we'll read. You don't need to turn to it. I'll just turn to it quickly. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 3. And it says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was, that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of man. This is talking about the Lord Jesus. Um, and clearly it says here, you know, he's the light of man. And the people at the time of the Lord Jesus, you know, they didn't want this light. Um, again, if we just flip the page to John chapter 3 and verse 19, and it says, And this is the condemnation, that light being the Lord Jesus, has come into the world, and men, lo- men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So um, Joseph wasn't at fault in shedding light on the evil that his brothers were doing. Um, if anything, it should have uh, pricked their conscience, conscience and, you know, resulted in them repenting and, you know, um, turning, turning around and doing the right thing. And similarly, in a similar case, Jesus, of course, is not a fault for, you know, um, not only revealing the sins of those who came into contact with, you know, essentially giving an honest report to, to the people that are around him, um, but unfortunately for, the, for the, some of the people that he interacted with, rather than having a conviction of one's uh, conscience and turning to God and doing the right thing, um, you know, people didn't want anything to do with the Lord Jesus. In, in fact, um, you know, they wanted to get rid of him so they could just go on um, living the, the immoral lives that they were living. Um, yeah. And then on to the next point, the verse three, um, the love of um, Jacob to Joseph and the gift of, of the coat of many colors. Um, so verse three, really quickly. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children um, because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Uh, now I want to comment about Jacob loving Joseph more than his, his other brothers. Um, I know we studied it last year when we looked at the life of David and how he favoured his sons. And even if you look at Isaac, Jacob's father, how he favoured his sons, and you know that it's not it's not the best thing to do. But I just want to focus here on on the, the on the coat of many colours. And you could probably think nowadays that you know what's what's the big deal? You know, it's just a coat. Um, you know, many colors, what's so special about that? Um, but I think what we need to remember that I don't think this was the norm back then um, for such garments. They weren't common. Um, it, it definitely set Joseph aside as being someone special, um, you know, gave him the position of, of maybe uh, honor. Um, I know in, in some parts of the Bible, you know, 
having such uh, um, ornate garments was um, a sign of wealth and glory and favor. You know, if you think of some of the kings and queens that are mentioned um, throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, and the, the colors that they're arrayed in, you know, you think of um, if you go to Second Samuel chapter thirteen and verse seventeen, um, it says the king's daughters were apparelled in coloured garments. This is King David. So his daughters, the princesses, they they were um, coloured in apparelled in coloured garments. So it was obviously obviously something that set them aside from you know everyone else. There was something special about them. And even if you look at, for example, you know Esther chapter six and you know, chapter 6 is where the king, he can't sleep and he realizes that uh, Mordecai has done something good for him and he wants to reward him and he asks um, one, of his ser- one of his servants, I guess, um, you know, what, what should he do for, for, this, for this man that he wants to honor? You know, what, what should the king do for the man who the king delighted to honor? And the response in verse 8 from, from Haman is, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king is accustomed to wear, and a horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal, which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the streets. And you can read the whole chapter and the whole section, and you get, um, um, you know, you get the point. Um, there was obviously something special about the king's apparel uh, and something unique about it. Um, or why else would um, Haman want to wear it? You know, there was something distinct about this uh, coat of many colors. It definitely set Joseph aside. It really put him in an honorable, honorable position. Um, like, I mean, if, if you could think nowadays, you know, if, I don't know if, if you're on a construction site or a farm or something like that and you're in your you know, your hard yakka pants and your high-vis vest and, you know, some 17-year-old kid rocks up in, like, a Hugo Boss or an Armani suit and, you know, he's looking all that and a bag of chips and you probably think, oh, this guy's something special, you know, he's, he must be wealthy, he must be rich or something, you know, or he's the son of the owner or something. Um, it, you know, it definitely sets him as, uh, apart from, you know, just the everyday kind of guys and... Um, it, it definitely set Joseph apart from his brothers. And um, it kind of begs the question as to why. You know, why did Jacob love Joseph so much, so much that he, he um, set him apart and um, gave him this, this coat of many colours? Um, I don't think it was anything because of anything that Joseph had done, honestly. It was, I mean, it, it must have been, you know, 17 years old. But he hadn't really achieved anything in his life kind of worthy of noting. Um, But it was just because of the fact of who Joseph was. He was the son of his father, the son of Jacob, the son of his old age, you know, the son of Rachel. You know, Rachel was one of the wives that Jacob loved the most. And if we think about um, the Lord Jesus, now the Lord Jesus, he, he was one who... You know, he's arrayed in glories that we cannot even know about before creation even existed. And the love of his father towards him was because of who he was. 
You know, he was the only begotten son of God, the one in whom he delighted. If we read in Luke chapter 3, I think it is, in verse 22, this is the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And as we know, Jesus gets baptized, he comes up, and in verse 22, it says, The Holy Spirit descended, descended in a bodily shape like a dove from upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And we know this is before Jesus had even started his public ministry, um, before he had done anything. It was, you know, the delight of God the Father and the love towards the Lord Jesus was simply because he was the Son of God. It was because of who he was. And if we turn to, you know, for example, John chapter 12 and verse 28, and, you know, says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So you get, you know, there's, there's the existing glory and there's glory to come. Um, and then in John 17, verse 1, again, a very well-known verse. These words, these words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, hear us come, glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. Um, so and we see that, you know, Jesus, he was in a position of honour by God. Um, you know, and like I said, this was before his public ministry, and this was before um, the work that he did on the cross. You know, he had the, he had this love and he had this glory and his honour before anything that he did publicly. And we also see that after his trials, you know, you know his, his three years of ministry and even, you know, um, the death on the cross, we see further glories attributed to Lord Jesus. And, again, you know, you can see a very um, close similarity to to the life of Joseph, where he, he is now honoured in his father's house before his trials. And, you know, we'll, we will read of his trials that he goes through um, towards the end of towards the end of the period at his father's house and the various other trials that he will see in prison, in Potiphar's house and whatnot. And then we'll read about the, the additional glories that he'll receive, um, particularly in the, in the house of the palace. Um, but we'll see that in, in the following sessions. Now, back to Joseph, um, and you know, despite the the love and the affection that that Jacob bestowed upon Joseph, um, we can we couldn't really say that Joseph was equal to his father, though. Um, but if we contrast that to someone like the Lord Jesus, and again, a very well known verse in Philippians two, chapter so chapter two, verse six, um, you know. Jesus was equal to God. It says, you know, being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation and took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. So I guess I guess that's one contrast between, I guess, Lord Jesus and, and Joseph. You know, Jesus was equal to God. Um, he was God, you know. So, and, you know, like I said, you know, not only did Jesus get this, this glory and this love for his person, just being the son of God, the work that he did also, um, you know, particularly all the miracles and the signs that he did beforehand, before the cross, you know, gives glory 
um, to God. And Turner gives glory to himself. Um, you think of um, John chapter 9 where you're at the, 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 the blind man and the disciples ask the Lord Jesus, you know, why is this man born blind? Was it because his parents sinned or did he sin? And Jesus replies to them, it's just, he says, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but the works of God should be manifest in him. And, you know, what's the purpose of the works of God? It's really to give glory to God himself. And, you know, you, you read the, the full chapter and, you know, in verse 38, after this blind man has gone through some difficulties with the synagogue and the, and the elders and whatnot, he comes back to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus reveals to him, to him that he's, in fact, the son of God. And upon this revelation, this man, you know, gives um, worship to him. And in verse 38, he says, this is the man speaking to the Lord Jesus. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So although it was not necessarily the purpose of the miracles um, for Lord Jesus, he wasn't, you know, out seeking the, the worship of man or the glory of man. It was still, uh, I guess, a, a consequence of what he did. Um, but ultimately, the Lord was out to, to give glory to God, God the Father. Um, and you know, that glory is attributed to the Lord Jesus. You know, the current current glory that he's got now, the glory from everlasting um, past and the glory to come as well, you know, particularly on the throne and, and future. Um, back, back to Genesis 37 and moving on to verse 4, um, you get the hatred of his brothers. And again, you said, you know, because Jacob loved Joseph more, more than them. And, you know, it says they could not speak peaceably to him. Um, so as a result of being singled out and shown to be who he was, the son, of his, the son of his father, and in the case of the Lord Jesus, he was the son of God. Um, you know, we get here the result is that you know, it was hatred towards him. Uh, and really, that was the, the response of the, the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees towards the Lord when he was here on earth. Um, you know, if we, if we turn to Luke chapter 5, again, a very well-known story of the, the paralytic man who's, um, I think he's brought, brought in through the roof. And what does the Lord Jesus say to him? Um, he says, Man, thy sins are forgiven. This is verse 20. And the response to, to the Lord Jesus by the, um, the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So by their own, um, I guess, working out, you know, they can, they can come to the conclusion that, um, only God can forgive sins. And in doing so, you know, it's a revelation to them or should be a revelation to them that um, this man before them, this Jesus that is before them, is in fact God. He's the son of God. Um, and, you know, if you need a proof, right after that, Jesus tells the man to get up and walk. And obviously, you know, he gives them a miracle right before their eyes. And, you know, if, if you're going to say, you know, no one can do good unless he's sent from God. No one can do these miracles unless he's sent from God. Um, this is the proof that he was sent from God. And if he's sent from God, obviously what he's saying is truth. 
And if he's saying he's the son of God, then, um, you know, that's evident enough for them to accept. Um, although in this case, they don't accept that. Um, you know, they reject him. Um, although, you know, some, some people gathered in the house do glorify God in verse 26. Um, you know, everything that the Lord Jesus did was for the glory of God. Yet the people um, didn't accept um, the Lord Jesus' person and they hated him for it. And it's really sad to see because, you know, the Lord Jesus, you know, he'd come to his own people, specifically, you know, the, the nation, you know, of Israel. You know, if, you know, he showed them particular favor and particular grace. Now, if you think of the, the story um, in Matthew chapter 15, where um, basically a, a Gentile woman comes to the Lord Jesus and she's asking for help. I think it's for her daughter. And, you know, the response to her in verse 26 is, you know, is it, is it not right? Is it not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs? And you, if you're reading this, you might think, well, that's a really harsh thing to say to this woman. Um, this is really rude. We know that the Lord Jesus loved her and that, you know, he, he healed her. He healed her daughter. Um, you know, he, he granted her a request. But it just goes to show the, the, the contrast between, you know, the special grace and favour that was um, bestowed to the children of, of Israel compared to the nations around them, you know. And, again, it highlights the, 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 the impact of, of his rejection because, you know, here's the Lord Jesus, he's come to his own nation, his own people, his own brethren, and they rejected him. And, um, again, Joseph, you know, he's, he's, in, he's in, in his father's house in the midst of his brothers. Um, you know, he was essentially going to be the future king or, or second in charge, um, second in charge compared to Pharaoh. Yet um, his brothers around him had nothing to, didn't want anything to do with him. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus. You know, if, if you look at all the prophecies, um, you know, obviously he's, he's the promised Messiah. He's, he's the king of kings, lord of lords. He's, he's the one that was come to or is come to rule over the whole world, not just Israel. And yet the people at the time didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, be careful to say that this is um, also a case of his disciples, but even the night of his betrayal, they all forsook him and fled because they realised that, wait, this isn't the coming of the kingdom. You know, this was him being rejected. Um, and then just moving on to, to the next section in the life of Joseph, verses 5 to 11, where we read of his dreams. Um, and we're all familiar with the story of life of Joseph. He has two different dreams, one of which uh, insinuates that his brothers would bow down to him and give him respect and reverence. And the second one, it's not only his brothers, but it's his, his father and his mother. Um, obviously, these, these dreams are prophetic and um, his brothers understood the meaning of it and his father understood the meaning of it. And it's actually interesting to see that Jacob himself, he, he observes the same. Now, Jacob was one who had dealings with God firsthand. Um, he was uh, experienced in seeing visions from God and dreams. Um, it wasn't something new to him. Um, so this, this kind of section, 
really is kind of prophetic to, to the rest of Joseph's life, uh, particularly to the, to the part of his life where he's in the palace um, with Pharaoh. Um, so what can we say about this section in, in reflection to the life of the Lord Jesus? Well, I mean, basically all scripture, you know, you could say points to, to the Lord Jesus, points to him, you know. Like I said, he's the rightful king, uh, one to whom every knee will bow. Um, even on on earth when he was um, alive here on earth, you know, things were in subjection to him. You know, he could calm the, the wind and the waves. He, he had control over the fish. He could speak a word and, you know, the fig tree could wither up and die. And it's, it's interesting that even... Um, during this time, that the scribes and the elders, you know, um, they asked him, by what authority doest thou these things? Who gave you this authority? You can read that in Mark chapter 11. So even the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees, they recognized that he had an authority. Um, even their servants, when, when they sent them to speak with Jesus, they came back and said, now never has a man spoken like this man having authority. Um, and yet, these people, you know, despite acknowledging that he had some authority, they weren't ready to accept the fact that he had authority over them and that he was the one, the, the promised one. And, yeah, and again, we, again, we see the rejection of the Lord Jesus time and time again. Um, next point, point number five, uh, verses 13 to 14. Um, Joseph's subjection to his father. And I, I really love this section because, you know, Joseph, you know, he's just had this dream um, about being exalted, you know, being a put, you know, exalted more than what he'd already been exalting. And his dad had already given him the, the coat of many colours and yet he's having visions of him being even higher up than that, uh, you know, being put above his brothers and even his whole family. And yet he doesn't get a big head about it, he doesn't think too much of himself, he's still subject to his father. His father says, come here and I will send you. And what is his answer? And he says to him, here I am. And he goes, I will send you, go see your brothers uh, with the flocks and so on and so forth. And, you know, Joseph's response was amazing. Right? Like I said, he'd just seen this vision of him being exalted. Yet he wasn't like, you know, I'm going to be king and really this is kind of beneath me. I shouldn't be doing this. And why don't you get one of the servants to do it? And Jacob was probably a wealthy man. He probably had servants. He could have sent a servant. And Joseph could have told him to send a servant. But no, he was subject to his father. And like what a beautiful picture of, of the Lord Jesus, you know. Every step that the Lord Jesus took here on earth was subject to God the Father. Now, as we read before in Philippians, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, this this is this Jesus that we're talking about right now, now, he was God himself, and yet he was willing to do whatever God asked of him, you know, whatever God the Father wanted, whatever he willed was um, what the Lord Jesus did. And, I, and again, I'd also um, like to point out um, Isaiah chapter 6 and chapter 7. And I really encourage people to read those two chapters. Most of us are familiar with it. But in Isaiah chapter 6, you get this um, magnificent description of the Lord Jesus on the throne. You get his glory. You get the angels praising him. And 
Um, he asks, whom shall I send? And it's actually Isaiah answering, saying, um, here I am, send me. But it's in fact attributed to the Lord Jesus saying, here I am, send me. And, you know, just as Joseph is sent to look for, for his brothers into, into the Vale of Hebron and Shechem, you know, the Lord Jesus is sent to the earth. And then, you know, the following chapter of Isaiah, chapter 7, you get the prophecy of the virgin birth. You know, Jesus is, in fact, sent. And, and also, again, you know, back to the you know, previous point that we said, all the prophets in the Old Testament, you know, they speak of Christ and the virgin birth and you know, being born in Bethlehem. You know, even at the time of the, the, the birth of the Lord Jesus, the wise men could, you know, discern that this is where the Messiah would be born and so on and so forth. Um, even though some of the people around the Lord Jesus couldn't even, to, you know, even if they discerned that this, were, this is where the Lord Jesus would be and was, would be born, um, they didn't want to accept that. You know, they didn't want to accept the fact that he would be king over them. You think of the um, antagonism by King Herod at the time. He didn't want this, this promised king. He wanted to kill all the, the children um, under the age of two. Um, but again, you just again, just back to the, the original point that um, despite all this, despite the Lord Jesus being God, he's, he's subject to God the Father. Um, just as Joseph was subject to his father. Um, and, you know, it's, it's amazing because, you know, the Lord Jesus is God, you know, and yet he, you know, he, he gives up his throne and comes down to earth. And not only is, you know, he's subject to God the Father, you know, he allows men, you know, his, his own creation um, to take him and crucify him. You know, it just, it just, blows your mind really to think, you know, if anyone had the right to say that, you know, I I shouldn't be doing this work. This is, you know, it's not for me. You know, this is God up here in, in, in the throne coming down 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 below to the earth. You know, anyone had the right to say no would be Lord Jesus. And yet you see the humble character of the Lord Jesus in willing to take on the form of man and do the will of God. And I mean, again, it's just Joseph is just a reflection of the life of, the life of Jesus in that despite, like I said, you know, despite having the promise of being exalted, he was um, still willing to be subject to his father. And the next, next section as well, verse 17, when Joseph actually goes to um, find his brothers, you see the diligence in seeking his brothers. And this is such a beautiful thing because, you know, where does his dad send him? He goes, go to the Vale of Hebron. Oh, so he sent him out of the Vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem and he found the man there and the man asks him, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. And he's like, they're not here. They've gone on. They've moved to Dothan. And, well, Joseph didn't say, well, look, I've come to Shechem where my father sent me. Haven't found what I was looking for. Might as well go home. You know, take a break. That's it for me. I'm done. No, he keeps going. He goes until he finds them. And if if you, you know, look in the life of the Lord Jesus, it's just, wow, you know, like the Lord Jesus came, you know, to find those who are lost, to bring them back. You know, this, this, you know the Good Shepherd. We all know the story of the Good Shepherd, um, you know, Leads 99 goes to find the one. 
You know, we've read about that woman, that Gentile woman in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 15. That wasn't a chance encounter. There was purpose in the Lord Jesus taking that path to interact with her. Um, you can think of the same of the, the woman of Sychar, at the well of Sychar in John chapter 4. And we even say, for example, the man who was possessed with demons in Gerasa, um, which you can read about in, in Mark chapter 5. And that's a really good story because it wasn't until recently, I think it was, I think Mike mentioned it recently, that, um, that the only reason that the Lord went to this city, Gerasa, Gerasa, how do you pronounce it? was to find this man who was possessed by demons. He went, interacted with this man, got on the boat, and then went back. And, you know, that really just kind of really blew my mind. You know, it's, it's, it was so precious to the Lord Jesus, you know, this one soul that, um, you know, he traveled, you know, across the sea, out of his way, just to meet him. Um, you know, just, just, just for this one person, the diligence of the Lord Jesus, you know, the things that he would do just for us as individuals, it just makes you stop and wonder, you know, such love. And, you know, if, you know, really, you know, for someone such as me, a sinner, you know, if, if that doesn't really move your heart, you know, maybe you need to have a, a you know, check, check your heart because it might be made of stone because, you know, the love of the Lord Jesus, you know, he just went to the ends of the earth to find these people and to, to bring them to himself. And it's, it's just it's just beautiful, you know, the, the diligence. And it's funny, you know, in, in our modern society, you know, people are quick to confess their love to one another. And you, you always hear poems and songs about how people say, oh, I'll follow, you know, follow, I love this person, I'll follow them to the end of the ends of the world, I'll find them wherever they are, kind of thing. And all that stuff we see in the media, you know, whether it's real or not, whether it's true or not, it's, you know, majority of it is not real or true. It's all fake, you know. But Jesus, you know, he really did that for us. He, he really, you know, went to the ends of the earth to, ends of the earth to find us, you know. And even at a time when we didn't even love him, you know, if you read Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we all know that this is why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I really don't, I don't want to stress this point too much, but it just it just really moved me afresh when I reread that passage in in, in Mark chapter five. It's just it's, it's it's beautiful, you know. You know, no matter where you are, or you know, whatever you've possibly gone through, you know, Jesus is right there, and you can imagine this man who was demon possessed. You know, he's probably thinking to himself, you know. The situation that he was in, you know, there's no salvation from that. He's probably thinking, you know, he was in a dark, dark place to be possessed with demons and the life that he was living. That's just, that's, that's really like tormenting. And to think that the Lord Jesus came to him and he's, he's taken him from, from the lowest of the lows, you know, and, you know, this man, he would be sitting with the Lord Jesus in the highest of heaven. And it's just it's just beautiful. Like it's it's hard to express. And I think I know I, I'm sure you all understand, you know, the work that the Lord Jesus has done for us. It's just it's it's unmatched, you know. And I'm sure most of us here are believers, but you know, if there's anyone who's not yet a believer, who's not does not know the Lord Jesus personally, 
Um, you know, maybe you're not as far gone as this man who, you know, was demon-possessed and, you know, his life was lost and low. You know, it could be just in a bad state. But, you know, wherever you are, whatever you've done, I just encourage you to turn to the Lord. You know, he's, he's waiting for us. And, you know, like I said, he's, he's diligent and he will find you and, you know, he'll take you out of the situation that you're in. I mean, just the, the diligence of the Lord Jesus. It's just it's a beautiful thing, you know, to find the lost souls. Um, just it's moving along to um, the next section, which is verse 18 to 19. I know we're uh, close to our time. I'm almost done. Um, shouldn't be too much longer. But verse 18 to 27, um, point number seven. We get the rejection of his brothers. So here we have the ultimate act of rejection, the, the full manifestation of the Joseph's brothers' hatred towards him. Um, you get the stripping off of the coat of many colors, um, taking from him that position of honor and, you know, essentially throwing him into the well or the pit. And, you know, what does the, what does the pit speak of? It speaks of death. Um, and even here in the passage, his brothers actually speak of literally killing him, even though they don't actually do it. But essentially, you know, he's put into death when he goes into that pit. And in being put into death, we'll read later on in the, in the house of the palace where he becomes the saviour of the world. And um, you'll see that same expression again in John chapter 4, again by the well, another well, the well of Sychar. Um, you get that second mention of the saviour of the world. And in this case, it's speaking of the Lord Jesus. So Joseph was the saviour of the world in a physical sense in his time, but the Lord Jesus, well, we all know what, you know what he's done for us in terms of salvation and redemption. And if you don't really know what I'm talking about, um, look up the chapter, John chapter 4, and if you still don't know have a chat to myself or someone else and we'll explain what that expression, the saviour of the world, means. Um, and if you, if you compare, you know, what Joseph went through to what the Lord Jesus went through um, was that, you know, the Lord Jesus, he was also literally stripped of his clothes, you know, and his dignity as a man. You know, just the moral wickedness of the people that were around him in the way they treated him. And, you know, that was very true of him um, during the, the crucifixion, but it's not only there, you know, even in his public ministry, you know, just the, the pushback and the kickbacks from all the Pharisees and the, the elders and the religious leaders at the time that the Lord Jesus got from them. It's just, it was just the kind of the, the showing of the, the moral, I guess, again, the moral wickedness of the people at the time. Um, and I guess one of the, the beautiful things about this section is, as well, is that, you know, here is Jesus, here is God. You know, he is in heaven. He is in that heavenly glory. And, uh, what you know, what we can read of in Isaiah chapter 6. And he, um, he is the one um, that stepped down from that glory of his own accord. It was his, his own will to come to, come to earth. You know, he... he essentially put off the coat of many colours um, of his own accord and came down to earth. Um, and not only did he come down to earth in the form of a man and 
you know, leave that heavenly glory. But, you know, he went even further. Uh, you know, we, the verse goes, you know, stoop lower even to death. And, you know, again, going back to the life of Joseph, when his brothers took him, took his coat off and threw him into the pit, you don't, you don't read of Joseph um, kind of complaining or speaking out and defending himself. No, he goes along in pure subjection. And again, what does that remind you of? Again, um, Isaiah 53, verse 7, very well-known verse. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Um, you know, again, just, just the comparison of the, the life of Joseph and the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus went willingly and, you know, not only subject to God the Father, but, you know, just just took on the, the work of the cross on himself without complaint, um, without reverence. Um, just, just beautiful to think about. Um, and again, you just see the, the death of the Lord Jesus, the ultimate manifestation of man's wickedness, man's sin, and the ultimate rejection, not, of, not only of the Lord Jesus, but of who sent the Lord Jesus, which, which is God. You know, we read of Lord Jesus saying, if, if, you, if you reject me, you reject him who sent me, essentially. Um, next point, point eight, verse 28 of Genesis 37. Um, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. In contrast, the Lord Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And I think I think it was Greg that mentioned this recently that Zachariah was paid um, 30 pieces of silver, which I think 10 being a year's wage. And there was the, the, the priest in Judges or something. He was happy to have 10, 10 pieces of silver for a year's wage. Um, and that was the same price that obviously, you know, Judas paid for the block of land that he got. Um, yeah, I guess it's very similar. I'm not going to go into kind of what the different numbers mean because it's probably, I probably don't understand it enough to explain it. So I'll maybe leave that to, to the question time. Maybe one of the more experienced brothers can speak about that. Or we can you know, look into it in, at your, you know, in your own private study. Um, but 20 pieces of silver for Joseph, 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. Um, Point number nine, the last point. <clears throat> Verses 29 to, to, to 36, where you get the mourning of uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, and then the transition of Joseph from his father's house to Potiphar's house. And it's, it's interesting because you read that the... Verse 35, and it says, all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go down into Sheol unto my son mourning, as his father read for him. Joseph's father uh, mournfully thinking that he was dead and he was not able to be consoled or comforted. 
you know, until he saw him again, we'll, we'll read that in probably session number four, you know, he wasn't comforted. And you look at, uh, for example, the life of the Lord Jesus, where in his death, you get, you get two aspects. You know, the first being in Isaiah 53, again, Isaiah 53, verse 10, and it says, He had to please the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper. To please the Lord to, 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 um, to bruise him. Now, God as a judge was satisfied and pleased with the work and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that he did on the cross. Um, but you think also of, of the time on the cross and God as a father, you know, the one that you read about in John's Gospel where it speaks of the Lord Jesus being in the bosom of the father, God the Father, he, he would have perfectly understood what Jacob was going through here. Um, just, just the pain that would, would have ripped through his heart. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. Really. And, um, and yet, you know, for God so loved the world, it was because of his love towards us. It's just, it's just beautiful. And, um, if you think of that verse, Isaiah, the seed will grow up and prosper, you know, because of the death of the Lord Jesus, we are brought into the, the position that we are in now um, yeah, because of his sufferings. Um, and again, uh, I know we're a little bit over time, but um, we can just go through and read that again and just, yeah, this the sufferings that Jacob would have gone through is some parallel. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's kind of just a quick overview of, of Joseph um, in his life, in his father's house. And, um, and I hope it's kind of clarified why you know, Joseph is such a good character study because he's such a good reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's interesting, actually, I don't think the Bible ever mentions um Joseph ever sinning, and yet another you know comparison to the Lord Jesus Himself, and I, I would really encourage people to, you know, in their own private time, study this chapter, study the life of Joseph in general, because you know there's there's so much more that can be gotten out of just this this one passage. You know, I've I've merely just kind of skimmed the surface and just broken up the chapter into kind of nine points. Uh, yeah, I hope that kind of helps and. Hope it kind of just sheds a light between you know, Joseph and the Lord Jesus. Really, that's that's the purpose of our studies is, is the Lord Jesus Himself. You know, from glory to glory. You know, the more we study Him, the more we can be a reflection of Him, as as Joseph was.